Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Last Sunday, President Trump sent out a series of racist tweets attacking four minority congresswomen who've been critical of his administration. Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, and Elon Omar of Minnesota. His tweet said the four Democrats should go back to the crime-infested places from which they came. All four of the congresswomen are American citizens, and only Omar, a Somali refugee, was not born in the United States. By Monday, after widespread backlash, Trump doubled down on his comments at a White House event. All they do is complain. So all I'm saying is, if they want to leave, they can leave, John. They can leave. And what's more, at a campaign rally on Wednesday in North Carolina, Trump attacked the congresswomen again, specifically listing controversial remarks made by Omar and falsely claiming that she had praised al-Qaeda. And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Trump has since said he disagrees with those send-her-back chants that erupted as he spoke at the rally. But regardless, the event made clear that Trump plans to use his criticism of the liberal lawmakers as a rallying cry during his 2020 campaign, framing the election around a nationalistic message that's inflamed racial tensions across the country. And though Trump's comments may be part of his political strategy, this moment raises questions about what consequences, if any, the president can face for using inflammatory or even racist language. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Democrats did take action in Congress to condemn the president's words. A House divided almost completely along party lines voted Tuesday to cast the president's words as an affront to millions of Americans. All but a handful of Republicans stood with Trump and did not vote in favor of the resolution. That House resolution is largely a symbolic move, but my colleague here at The Post, legal affairs reporter Fred Barbash, wrote about another potential consequence of Trump's use of controversial or racist language. Essentially, Trump's tweets add to a pattern of language that lawyers can use against the president in court. Fred explained this legal strategy and how we've seen it implemented thus far. Lawyers have used it to great effect, starting with the travel ban cases when the president first took office. The travel ban was one of Trump's first policies when he took office, and it limited the entry into the United States of people, I believe, at the first round was from seven different countries. I believe all, if not the majority, were Muslim countries. Immigration rights lawyers took the president to court on that travel ban, 
And when the lawyers challenged the travel ban, they hauled out. It was the most interesting legal brief I've seen because it was filled with copies of tweets uh, in which he said comments which were interpreted as anti-Muslim, racist, anti-immigrant. And those comments convinced a number of judges that that travel ban was being implemented not to control terrorism, but to keep Muslims out of the United States. And that is not a constitutionally proper reason for violates the Equal Protection Clause and Due Process Clause of the Constitution. So that's how the words were used. Plus, there was some question about his statutory authority to enact that ban. So it's never, it wasn't the words alone. Mm-hmm. It was the words in conjunction with other issues, other more conventional legal issues that were raised. And that forced the Trump administration to rewrite the that The Trump ban administration rewrote the ban twice. And while the lower courts never agreed with it, the Supreme Court ultimately said when it comes to immigration, the president's power is at its zenith. And never mind that he said these things. He had the power uh, to do what he did, and it is not for us to question his motives. And the same thing happened in the cases having to do with deferred action, uh, DACA for uh, so-called dreamers. The same thing happened in cases where they were trying to deport people who are here on temporary protected status. The same thing happened in the transgender in the military case. Lawyers look at his words and they submit them to the court and say, this shows that the motives that the administration has are not what they are saying they are and that the real reasons are racial or ethnic animus, which is what the courts call bias. And I counted up 12 cases which have orders that have gone against the president because of his own words. And what the lawyers do as he continues to say these things, they wrap them into the next case. Can you cite some of the language that we're talking about? What specific words has Trump said that have been used against him? Well, I think if the audience will excuse me, the most famous one was when he described certain countries as shithole countries. Well, those countries happen to be countries where migrants got special treatment in the United States, were allowed to stay here because of natural disasters or man-made disasters. And when the administration tried to revoke that special treatment, which is called temporary protected status, the comment, which had been reported in the Post, was used to show that the reasons that they said they were doing this were in fact not the entire reasons. The reasons were that the president had this hostility, this uh, racial, because all the countries were non-white countries, uh, had a kind of racial hostility. Another phrase when he described everyone in Haiti as having AIDS, stereotypes, prejudices, All of that is used by lawyers in conjunction with other arguments, not alone, in conjunction with other arguments to show that the government is acting in a discriminatory manner, which is unconstitutional. So it brings in a much more serious and powerful issue uh, into a case. So all of the words that he's used, the... Mexicans as rapists and criminals is another one that's been frequently used, Uh, Muslims as terrorists. And now we have, in addition to that, the comments that he's made 
the go back home kind of comment. So it's not one comment by itself. It's the accumulation. Now, a lot of times the administration or Trump himself reiterate those comments in a different way or sort of modify them, suggest that perhaps they're not saying what everyone is interpreting them as saying. Or in this case, he suggested that he wasn't relying on a racist trope. But in court, it seems that often the the judges have decided that the the way that he initially said the statement might actually add up to animus. In 12 cases, <laughs> okay, they have said that. And the government lawyers who would prefer to avoid the whole subject, I can tell you that they cringe when they hear these things because it makes, uh, have not succeeded in convincing judges that those words did not reflect some kind of discriminatory motive. So we've got at least 12 cases uh, and there's going to be more because the president has a lot of immigration policies which are currently being challenged in court. Yeah, I want to talk about some of those policies. So the administration has tried to enact new asylum policies that essentially restrict access to our asylum system for anyone who didn't seek protection from other countries before crossing the southern border. How might Trump's tweets figure into some of the existing legal challenges being made against those asylum policies? Well, the lawyers will have to, you know, determine that. But again, it will be the cumulative. It won't be just these tweets this week against women of color. Keep in mind that most of the countries that that he's talking about, asylum, are Latino countries where people of color are trying to get into the United States. So it's very easy to take the phrases about people going home as further evidence in addition to all of his other comments. And I talked to lawyers who said, oh, yeah, this is going to help us. Uh, it's not dispositive in and of itself. You have to have other violations of the law. You have to show that perhaps they don't have the statutory authority to do what they're doing. But once you convince a judge that an administration has discriminatory motives, you are in a whole new realm of litigation, which is much more difficult for the government to deal with. It happened in the census case as well. I want to talk about that case, but have lawyers managed to convince any judges appointed by Republicans? Yes, in the appeal, some of the appeals court. Most of these orders have come from Democratic appointed judges, but many of them have been upheld by appellate panels that include uh, Republican appointees. So there's no question that, and most of them have come from the Ninth Circuit, which is the West Coast Circuit, uh, which is a comfortable place for immigration advocates to go historically. So there's no question that they forum shop it out in California, particularly in the Northern District of California, San Francisco, Oakland. Uh, and there's no question that these most of these judges have been appointees of Democratic presidents, particularly Obama. But there are some Republican-appointed judges who have upheld these rules. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, so now let's talk about that, the 2020 census citizenship question. Sure. How have Trump's words affected a judge's ruling in that case? Well, it's very interesting. They were not an issue in the original cases. There are two sets of cases here. There were the original cases in which the court decided didn't believe the reasons that the administration was giving for adding a citizenship question to the census. Then some new evidence came out that showed some uh, hint that they were doing it in order to increase the white representation in Congress versus non-white. At that point, a judge here in Maryland, nearby here in Maryland, said, aha, when you look at the, this new information, which came out of the files of somebody who had died, in conjunction with the president's words, the history of words suggesting a discriminatory uh, motive, this gives us reason to question whether this question that the administration wanted put on the census about citizenship may have had some discriminatory purpose to it. So this is really interesting. This case would have been dead Mm -hmm. uh, once the Supreme Court got done with it, but for the the documents combined with President, the whole history of President Trump's, what some say are racist comments. Okay, so Trump's pattern of language has affected a lot of immigration-related cases that right. we've seen. So we right. just talked through a bunch right. of those. Are there issues outside of immigration where we've seen the president's public remarks play a role in how judges have ruled? I've not seen too many of those. It happened to Obama mm -hmm. uh, with his words in the not racially biased Fred, words. this was my next question for you. Have we seen it with past presidents? Yes. The pre <laughs> president Obama got, into, got himself into trouble because when his administration by executive order allowed people to stay in this country – uh, both adults and children uh, who had been here for a certain period of time or who, in the case of the children, had been born here. And he made the mistake of saying he was doing it. He said out loud, he said, if Congress refuses to do this, I'm going to do it myself, which is essentially an admission that was used in court, a Republican judge in Texas, to say they don't have the power to do this only Congress has the power to do this, and the president himself admitted, admitted that he doesn't have the power by those comments. President Trump has the same problem mm -hmm. in the case involving building the border wall, where it was clear, and he said so. He said, I don't have to do this. I'm, he said very much similar to what Obama said, Congress won't, do, won't provide this money, so I'm going to find another way. So when the lawyers from the Justice Department got into court, those words, which are a very different kind of language, uh, kind of confession against his own interest, were used by Judge Haywood Gilliam in California as evidence that the president was deliberately acting against the will of the Congress. Mm -hmm. So you got to watch what you say, you know. <laughs> Especially uh, if you're president of the United well, States. Well, <laughs> yes, it's, it's used and it's usable. Okay. So so bigger picture, sure. overall at this point, how would you assess Trump's record in the courts? Terrible. <laughs> the worst in modern history. There have been 92 judgments, and by judgments I mean cases in which judges have written opinions, uh, that this administration has lost. 
Many of them are still being appealed. The, the largest groups include are the environmental, a series of environmental cases where they delayed or suspended rules, and then a series of immigration cases. That's unprecedented. They're starting to make up a little ground in the appeals courts, which are not necessarily reversing some of these orders, but are staying them, are delaying them. And of course, they won in the Supreme Court on the travel ban case. But the record is uh, extraordinary. I'm waiting till they hit 100. And there are, re- there are lots of reasons why this has happened. One but of them is Trump's own words. Though. One of them is Trump's own words. One of them is a haste to get uh, the policies in place which causes them to skip over steps that are necessary under federal law, something called the Administrative Procedure Act that you have to go through. And so their rush to make a big splash right away uh, has been one of the reasons that they've had so many court defeats. They don't seem to mind that much. That's what's really interesting about this. The president gets the credit for trying and a lot of publicity. And then in addition to that, he turns around and uses it to attack the courts, which he has done, particularly because the majority of those judges have been our Democratic appointees. Just to clarify here, a lot of what Trump says goes against what we're used to hearing from presidents, sort of the language that he uses publicly can be no offensive kidding. to many. Yeah. I'm trying to sort of determine where is the line. Are, are Trump's words illegal in any way? No, no. Of course, we have the First Amendment. But are there are there protections in the law against certain kinds of speech used in certain circumstances that might apply here? No, not in this, these kinds of cases, because these are cases in which a, a judge is being asked to consider totality Mm-hmm. of uh, circumstances under which a policy was enacted. So the judge isn't saying the president can't say these things. That's not permitted under the First Amendment. The judge is saying, well, the president said this, or his assistant said that, or Rudy Giuliani said this. That may provide some suggestion as to why they have implemented this policy. I have a few questions left for you. One being, if, if Trump if Trump's words seem to hamper or even end in some cases some of his policy initiatives, why might the president continue to say such inflammatory things? Well, I don't know. It is clear to me that he doesn't care when, that he's losing these cases. Second of all... Because he has the political win. He has a political trying. win for trying. And that seems to be... Every time a court rules against him, he makes a lot of hay out of it. He he uses that to show that the elitists and the Obama people are still stymieing, you know, open borders and this just... So it, it, to some extent, it's win-win for him. Some people say he doesn't even care that much about a particular policy. He cares about getting credit for having pushed that policy. But the, the other reason is that he doesn't uh, take legal advice well. And the fact that somebody in the Justice Department may or may not say to the president or perhaps to the attorney general or the a legal counsel in the White House say, you know, these this language is not helpful. Is there anything you can do? Well, we know that there no, there's nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. So even though it can be demonstrated empirically that it's hurting his policies, the advancement of his policies, he does not take that advice uh, well and does not pay any attention to it. 
So has the Supreme Court set precedent here by deciding in the case of the travel ban that Trump's comments didn't affect their decision? And would setting that precedent necessarily be a bad thing? They didn't do it in the in the travel ban case. There was some thought that they might say, because in the travel ban case, the president's words were used against him. And the court the court made note of that, but didn't say that was a problem. There may come a case in which they say this stuff isn't relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the judge, uh, lower court judges should not be using these words as a factor unless they can show direct causality. There's a potential precedent someday, mm-hmm. maybe, in which the Supreme Court says it, you can use the president's words a judge. Of course, litigants can say whatever they want, mm-hmm. so you can't stop the litigants. But in terms of what judges use as factors for deciding whether the administration uh, has broken the law, the court might come along at some point and say, uh, as the dissenters did in the census case, that the, that language is is not. There's no causality. You can't show that this the policy X was implemented because President Trump said those nasty things. So it's possible, I can see somewhere down the road some risk of that here, uh, depending on the case and depending on how it turns out. But if, we, if we're using the president's own words against him, is that sort of bad for our country in any way? I don't think so, mm-hmm. uh, personally. And, and, and we'll, uh, But let me tell you that it's going to hurt Democrats. It's going to either party. I think it's a check mm-hmm. uh, uh, on, on extreme language uh, mm-hmm. by a president. Thank you, Fred. Really appreciate your time. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you liked it, share it with the first person you see after you listen to this. And let us know what you liked, what you didn't like by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the bold and brainy Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.